Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, colleague, and good friend, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Internet is a bit spotty, so I'm apologizing in advance to our listeners and hoping that our audio stays listenable for all of you throughout this pod. But I am excited to be here today. We're 12 games into the Pacer season. And what do you know, Mark? This is a 500 basketball team. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Uh but yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm excited to talk about it and dive into it because it just doesn't. Uh, there are so many things that I want to talk about because it just doesn't feel real at points. But uh, I mean, this team is currently slated to be a playoff team. Obviously, they're not. Uh, but well, I, I mean, shit. What do I know? Um, with the way this year has played out so far, but what are we here? Well, to if do the season today? ended today, if the season ended today, the season would be very short. Yes. <laughs> That's but they, they do have, currently have a they do currently have a record better than four teams that were in the playoffs last year. Chicago, Toronto, Brooklyn. Um, who else am I missing? I think there's another team that was in the playoffs last year that they have a better record than as well. But yeah, I mean, they have a positive point differential. I think I looked up right before we ha- hopped on here and they've already made 19 or more threes as many times through these first 12 games as they did all of last season. So that three times this good. year and three times last year incredible yeah the sheer difference in shooting this year has been pretty remarkable fifth and three point percentage third in attempts second in total makes per game like pretty nice um as a step up from last year Caitlin, who knew that shooting matters that <laughs> uh, they don't matter yeah it doesn't matter uh what are they in their last seven games from three no it in win loss oh let me think well they've beat toronto they've beat new orleans they've beat I don't know. You tell me. I'm I'm awfully prepared for this with my internet uh, issues. They're five and two. Yeah, they got a coach fired. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it will last domino in that one. Uh, they almost won one of the weirdest games of the season in the game against Denver. Um, this team is like, dare I say it, fun. I think we. I mean, we've talked about this before. But this team. This team is fun to watch. Um. What are we here to do today? Today, because the Pacers have a three-day vacation, we've decided to hop right in. And because both of us are as surprised and bamboozled by the start to the season as we are, we've each picked our three biggest surprises from the surprising Pacers. So um, I'm getting ready to take some L's here, Mark. I'm getting ready to point out things that I did not see coming and tell the world how wrong I was. I am ready to do the same. Um, Do you want to go first? I I would like to go first. My first that I would like to point out is the defensive rebounding. Is this a good defensive rebounding team? Because it seems like they might be. And I would not have, I would, if you had asked me, well, I mean, people did ask me this over the summer. I thought that was going to be a weakness for the team. Like just to provide some context for people. Um, I like to use opponent offensive rebounding rate better than rebounding rate to measure this. So last year before the trade deadline, 
they were 17th in opponent offensive rebounding rate. After the trade deadline, they were 25th. So I thought it was reasonable to think that that might still be somewhat of a weakness for them. But so far to start this year, they are currently ninth. So that's better than at any point last season. Um, we've seen some improvement in the overall rebounding numbers, both per 100 possessions and per, per 36 minutes from Miles Turner. And I mean, what are you, what do you think? Is this a good defensive rebounding team, Mark? I, yes, I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd say yes. I mean, I think it's fairly important that they've been doing this in the early games because their transition frequency, it certainly helps that. I mean, that was one of my big talking points as well. Like would this team, they were built to get out and be in the open floor more. They have lots of people who naturally want to do that. Um, but they didn't do it over the back end after the trade deadline last year. They did it for like four games and then that really tapered off. But, you know, in part, they weren't finishing stops with rebounds all that well. Now they are at a better clip. And now they're the second other than Toronto um, ranked second in transition frequency. And they're, they're pushing a lot off of defensive rebounds. So as well as makes too, but um, that's been an impact, but I, I kind of wanted to dig into this a little bit because like, again, this, this is definitely as a, team-wide trend this is not something that i would have pinpointed and that's where my three things are at like stuff that i just did not see coming so through their first 12 games seven of their first 12 opponents um are not good offensive rebounding teams so just to put it out there um washington they played them twice they ranked 24th in an offensive rebounding rate san antonio um 14th philadelphia 29th chicago 20th Brooklyn 26th, they've played them twice, Miami 23rd, Denver 17th. So the only like elite or, you know, top tier offensive rebounding teams that they've played on their schedule so far is Detroit, New Orleans, and Toronto. And when they played Detroit, they gave up uh, 17 offensive rebounds, but they themselves grabbed 20. So, you know, it weighed out. Neither team was really hitting the defensive glass all that well in that particular game. New Orleans, they gave up 13 offensive rebounds. And Saturday against the Raptors, they gave up 16. They just ended up, you know, throwing fire from the from behind the arc and making 19 threes. So that was able to outweigh what Toronto was doing on the glass and around the basket. So I think that there probably is a little bit of noisiness from this, given that they've played a schedule that's full of a lot of teams that really either don't prioritize the offensive glass or just aren't very good at getting second chances. So I'm not sure they're quite as good of a defensive rebounding team as they've shown thus far, but like, just to give credit to miles, he currently ranks second in the NBA and contested defensive rebounds per game. He's getting 3.4. He averaged two of those last year. And the only person that's getting more contested defensive rebounds per game is Anthony Davis and his contested defensive rebounding percentage is 48. So I do think that individually, like just comparing him to himself, even though they they have played some teams that aren't great rebounding teams that like you can see stuff from him on the offensive glass and the defensive glass. But I, I don't know where you're at on that. Yeah, I mean, that are you ready for me to fall into mine? Because that flows into mine. Of course. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, my thing is miles like I granted this is a small sample size. He's played seven games. But I mean, do you think it's crazy to say that since the Brooklyn game, like that's the best stretch of basketball I think he's he's ever played. I mean, I think it's the most complete and impactful. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I wrote that when I when I wrote the 
little article about me being fascinated by them finally playing Isaiah Jackson and Miles together um, and the New Orleans game that 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 in particular game I think was his most impactful just because New Orleans defense was not good in that game um, at all. Like I think Willie Green emphasized that pretty well afterwards that it was like they didn't really want to put in full effort until the fourth quarter happened. But, you know, you can't hold that against Miles and every type of defense they threw, he did what he needed to do. Jonas Valanciunas isn't going to come out of the paint. So, you know, he was hitting the open three and shooting it confidently. When the Pelicans dropped back into zone, he was ducking in and finding spots within that. And then in the fourth quarter, when the Pelicans were like, hey, you know what? This game's too fast and Valanciunas can't defend in space right now. We're going to go small with Zion as our only big and we're going to switch. Miles did what he needed to do against the switches. And that's been like my biggest hang-up with him. People know that I've been very critical of that. that there's times where, you know, last year there were opposite stand there, meander or not really, roll right times in that Pelicans game. Now, I don't completely know thing. And like right on the catch when Isaiah did it in the second half, they doubled him and doubled him hard and he threw a turnover. They weren't coming to double miles for whatever reason. There was a couple times where like if they threw it over the top, like if the Pelicans were fronting and they threw it over the top, like somebody might rotate over there. So that was kind of an interesting strategy that they were willing to continue giving that up. But um, Miles operated the way that he needed to. And I, I think that part of it, too, is that he's playing with, you know, between Nemhard Matherin's even thrown a few decent ones and Tyrese. He's having guys throw him the ball in the right spots when he is getting position there. Um, yeah. You brought up the Brooklyn game like. I do think in like the span of a week's time, I don't know how you feel, but like I I felt like that Brooklyn game was probably the worst game I've ever watched him play. Yeah. And the New Orleans game was probably the best game I've ever watched him play. And in part, like Brooklyn was defending him a little bit different. Like he was having trouble carving out spots against Joe Harris a few times. And then like Kevin Durant or Claxton was actually coming clear off of Jalen and, and he wasn't quite reading where the help was coming from. And that's what led to a couple of those blocks that, him getting blocked right at the rim, which wasn't what New Orleans was doing. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you can't argue with the numbers. The Miles is going to be one of mine, but you you go ahead and say what you want to say about Miles. I mean, he's just been assertive. Like He's been really good at finding his spots without necessarily having anything run for him, which is the stuff that uh, you and I have talked about for a couple of years now, which is still just wild to say. Also, I just remember, this is our 300th episode. Um, so congrats on that. Um but yeah, I mean, over that four game stretch, 21 and a half points, 10 rebounds, 61% from the floor. Uh, most importantly, though, he's getting the line seven times. Part of that's inflated by the, the New Orleans game, but both in Dallas and Toronto got to the line quite a few times. Um, it just feels like he's really been able to use his size. Like in that Toronto game, one of the coolest things was just like, um, I'm trying to remember uh, who started the action, but basically ended up turning into a Jalen Smith dribble handoff in the corner for miles and just had like the really fun extension layup at the rim. Like the reach out. That was amazing. Yes, That was so cool. Like watching that. I was like, miles Turner doing that. Like, okay. Part of it was cause they caught Toronto flat footed and they had like a weird lineup out and their defense. Loki just kind of sucked in that game. I, I didn't really think that they played that well. Um, but again, like it's just, it's doing stuff within the offense. Like, like you mentioned with the, the duck ins and finding opportunities to be aggressive even though he's only taking four threes a game, like he's not passing up any, I don't feel like, I feel like he's just been really good at picking his spots and finding ways to be 
aggressive. And the defense has been really good from him. Um, like, he, again, like he gets put in precarious situations sometimes. But honestly, I, I don't know. If, I, I, I'm interested to see what you think. I, it's, I don't think it's that they – at least I wouldn't say that every team hasn't given them their best shot. But the defense has low-key been kind of fine. Uh, still not good. Uh, but it's been serviceable for how good the offense has been. And that's, I mean, that's a byproduct of why they are five and two in their last seven games. Yeah. I mean, I, I do want to, I mean, people will know now that my other biggest surprise was going to be miles Turner's free throw rate Mm -hmm. Um, that I did not see coming either. It's literally double his career. Like his, his free throw rate, like his number of free throws per shot attempts is 61% right now. His career on that is, is 30 like and it was nowhere clear close to this even when he started at 5 the last time. So I went back and watched all the fouls that he's drawn and um I do think that there is there's been a few games where I'm like okay, why are you pulling him from behind instead of just like I don't think that his center of gravity is necessarily better all the time. I think that kind of kind of comes and goes and there's times where he's had a small on him and the person just like grabs him from behind it essentially to take a foul and I'm like I think I would probably force him to make a move instead of doing that and there's been a couple times where he's rolled and I've been like okay like why are you just reaching over on a tag and just hitting him instead of positioning your body there like that's that's been the case in a few games where I could maybe question the other team's defense but like it's been a little bit like watching. I don't know if you're going to remember this game, but during the Bjorkren season, they were playing the Raptors and Sabonis didn't play in that game. They After halftime, the Raptors went to like 3-2 zone with OG on Anobi up top and they couldn't do anything against it. Oh, and I like recall. for whatever reason, yeah, for whatever reason. Is that the reason, game like, when they were down like 74 to 49 at halftime? No, no, no. There's been a couple times where they've had massive holes. Like yeah. I, this game didn't end up being too bad, but like, no, Bjorkren like flew off the handle and went and complained to a referee. Like this was obviously during the COVID year and he like pulled down his mask and like went clear out on the court and ended up getting a technical. And then for the rest of the way, like the Pacers attempted 32 free throw attempts over the last 21 minutes of that game. And oh, Miles yeah. had, yeah, like that was more than they had attempted in any game after he complained about like, there was like a call on Malcolm Brogdon that really wasn't that egregious. It kind of felt like Bjorkren was just trying to alter and like, you know, get his guys going with the technical and like all the officiating completely changed. And miles had 16 free throw attempts in that game. Like he was just kind of like running his body into guys against the zone. And I do think there's been some of that, like just to talk about the Denver game a little bit, like that fifth foul from Jokic was ridiculous. Like not because it was miscalled. It was accurate. He fouled him, but like miles is coming down the lane and in like semi transition, how they didn't come double to protect Jokic or why Jokic didn't just have like the sense to be like, Hey, I'm kind of important. And this is going to be my fifth foul. Like, let me ask you this. How many points, if you were the Denver nuggets, would you be willing to sacrifice to not get a Jokic fifth foul? Like five, eight, how many? A lot. <laughs> that was... Yeah, I'm thinking like at least five or six points. I'd be willing to concede if it meant that I could keep Nikola Jokic on the court. Like why he, he, you know, miles made the smart, correct play to just basically run into him. And, and semi-transition, but, like, that was wild to me. Like, that was just bad decision-making that I don't think you can normally point out from um, yeah, that was in that one situation. Of the, that was one of the really weird Jokic games where he just kind of um, saying in a funk is, like, like, it was very self-induced, but, like, he just kind of, like, 
I mean, what did he, didn't he have four fouls before halftime? Yeah, I mean, he, he in some of the games I've watched of Denver, I mean, he's so casually dominant that sometimes it doesn't really matter. But he seemed yeah. a little bit bored with the um, early processing of the season. But what I was going to say is that with regards to Miles and 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 drawing the fouls, that I do think that there's been like he's rolling more which was my other number. Like when I wrote, if people go back and look at it, I had like five numbers that are going to define the start of the season for the Pacers. And one of them was 50%. And that was would miles finally roll on more than 50% of the screens that he uses. And he has, I think it's like 54% right now. So it's still not a huge leap, but he's literally never done that in his career where he's rolled Mm -hmm. on that many of his screens. So when you're rolling toward the basket, that's putting him in better position to whether he gets the switch or, or his teammate just puts up a shot. He's nearer to the rim to be, going after the offensive glass. And that's kind of where he's drawing a lot of these now when I watched him back. And then there have been a few times where he's used like an elongated drop step to try to draw some contact. And then also I think he's been more heady with pump fakes to get guys in the air around the basket and draw that contact. So I feel like that's replicable. I don't know if, if teams will continue, like if he's doing what he's doing against the switches, I don't imagine that they're just going to concede the switch for forever. Like his, I think he's like 50% on post-ups I think that they're either going to not switch that, which I guess is probably better for Tyrese um, to not always be seeing the switch on the perimeter, or they're going to do what they did against Ajax, which is immediately come double him. And then it'll be what comes from there. But like, this is what we talked about over the summer. We've never really seen, you know, miles score consistently and be a threat to the point where like a team's going to make an adjustment. So I'm going to be interested to see what teams do, but yeah, I mean, you can't argue with what his numbers have been. That's an absurd leap on, on free throw attempts so far this early in the season. Yeah. No, without question. Um, well, yeah. What is, uh, what's your next one? Well, that was actually mine was oh, as miles as free throw attempt rate. So I have, yeah, the team's defensive rebounding um, rate so far this year and miles is free throw attempt rate. Cause that's kind of like the biggest leap too. When you look at his numbers, yeah. like right now he's shooting a little bit worse from two, a little bit better from three on lower volume, but he's averaging like five more points per game because he's attempting like five more free throws per game. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad we both agreed on that one. Cause I, I needed to eat crow after saying earlier in the year. Um, I think I did hedge it a little bit saying that he could get better, but I, cause he, had his thing saying like, you know, I think that I have a lot more that I could show this league. I was like, well, see, but um, yeah. So that's been nice. Uh, What is my next one? I mean, I feel like this is a very obvious one, but just Benedict Matherin being what he has, has completely blown me away as we've talked about multiple times on the podcast. Like I, I was actually Zach Miller and I just did a podcast on our draft podcast talking about Benedict um, and his growth from Arizona to now. And like, yeah, I mean, I didn't anticipate him doing this off rip and definitely not uh, close to, I mean, I, I wasn't even sure that he'd be doing some of the things that he's doing uh, his first couple of years in the league. So I feel, I mean, to I don't want to just say eat crow, but like, I think it goes to show how much uh, the front office and coaching staff had an idea of what they wanted in a player and how to get the most out of him. And that, matters a lot when looking at what he's doing i mean because like like we mentioned like uh the free throws because speaking of miles's free throws i mean benedict getting to the line 5.9 times right now um feels replicable because of the situations that they're putting him in and how well he is um playing from there and just his overall aggression with with and without the ball overall has been like really nice to see he finds ways to 
to impact the game without even necessarily having the ball in his hands. And um, so overall, I just think his his play on the offensive end has been um, a step up that from from what I I believe it, it would be, especially in this rookie year. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of possessions in isolation, but the fact mm-hmm. that he's made more isolation threes already than he did at Arizona um, says a lot. And in part, that's why I don't have the issue with him coming off the bench. And it seems like a lot of people have come around to that now that like, you know, he did have reps like when he exploded in that second quarter in Denver, some of it was, you know, him hitting, just being completely on fire in terms of hitting some transition threes where they didn't pick him up. But like he does have a little bit more reps in those windows to be doing you know, exploring a little bit of creation stuff himself in addition to what they're already using him like when he's out there with Tyrese and more of the starters, especially in closing lineups. So I don't think he'd be getting that type of reps if he was the starter. And like we've said before, I think that what they're doing is working at a really high level. I mean, I guess I would want to get your thoughts. What did you think about his performance against the Raptors since that is the most recent game? He and Tyrese both weren't particularly efficient from the field. Um, I think this is the game where you saw some, some of the, um, passing struggles for me the most. I don't know if you would agree with that. Like he only had one turnover, but, um, I felt like you could kind of see him having to think through things because of just how, uh, like the length on the court and and how it was being defended. I don't know. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because I have the screenshot of him when he had that amazing Euro step mm-hmm. a few games ago when he literally gathers his dribble outside the free throw line. There are four Miami Heat players in the in the paint and he gets to the rim and scores an and one because that, that's his body control and that's his footwork. So you can't always argue with the process. And this was like this was my stock down when we did the the series that like his shot selection at times. Um, when he sees lots of bodies like that, like as amazing, I like, I like pointing out that play because it highlights, you know, what's made him, him so early in the season, but there are times where I think he needs to pass. And it's not because I think he's being selfish. Like, I don't want to put it that way. It's just making the right read in the right time. So like a lot of the time in that game, they were pulling Chris Boucher clear off the corners, you know, overloading. And there were moments where I felt like he needed to make a drop-off pass and he didn't. And then obviously like OG on an OB is just on another level as a defender right now to start the season for Toronto. And like, when we think about a big getting, you know, a small on them in the post and like Tyrese did this a few games ago where he had a size mismatch and he pulled the chair and the guy like, you know, fell back. It was almost like OG on was pulling the chair a couple times on Matherin's drives. And what I mean by that is like, Matherin wants to make and hit contact around the rim to clear space, use a bump and then go. And OG was effectively like, Oh, you're going to come bump me. I'm just going to back off of that. And it threw off his rhythm a little bit. It was like, he was syncopated when he was getting to the rim and OG wasn't always guarding him, but you could see a little bit of a difference there. And it OG also threw off Tyrese. I felt a couple times as well. Um, that was kind of the first, like, I want to call it a struggle game. But and, and some of it for Tyrese was just him missing a lot of threes. I mean, some of those I think would drop in other games, but um, them being affected and them still finding a way to win the game, though. So um, that's something to watch moving forward in terms of, you know, the way that the Raptors overload and how that affected um, Matherin's production. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think it um, this is another thing I was talking about with somebody 
over the weekend on his finishing approach because like I I don't know his finishing approach is kind of confounding me because like we've talked about how impressive the um the contact finishing has been but at the same point it doesn't feel easy and I think that we're seeing that like you mentioned in the Toronto game I think you see it play out a little bit because um like those are difficult finishes and he has a knack for making those difficult finishes but I I um I don't know if this is that making any sense. Like, I do feel like that just is kind of. Um, I mean, I don't because of what my internet is. I can't look and see what his rim numbers were. Last I looked, he was shooting like sixty-eight like right percent. I think he's yeah. down to sixty now. If I remember yeah. correctly. So I mean, that's still a really good number. Yeah, no, it's but... still very good. But I think it's just like, um, because he like he'll do all these offhand things while he's up around the rim, and it's like it's good, but it's just I don't know. It is. It is something that just makes it interesting. Um, and he's at 62.2 right now at the rim. Yeah. So, well, I guess too, you know, we've brought it up many times, but I, I am still wanting a bit more from Benedict Mathern as a defender, which brings me to well, yeah. my biggest yeah. surprise. My biggest surprise is, and people are, I mean, I'm glad that you brought up Benedict because I wasn't going to, is Andrew Nemhard. And not just because of like his numbers or anything, but like this is just not what I would have expected headed into this season. Um, not in the way that they're using him and not with what role he's kind of playing on the court either. And that's a pleasant surprise for me. So um, I looked up, he has so far played 13%, only 13% of his minutes without Tyrese or TJ McConnell on the floor. 86% of his minutes or 87% of his minutes have been played with another point guard. Um, I would not have guessed this when we went into the season, I assumed he was going to be the third string point guard. And then maybe, you know, if they decided they were going to move TJ at some point, he would usurp and, and fill into that position. There were times during preseason where he was, you know, getting some minutes with one or the other of them out there. So I thought, Oh, maybe it's possible, or maybe this is just a preseason thing, but um, they've liked playing him in that role. He really hasn't been playing just like full-time point guard and it's, it's worked. And more so than that is, Never would I have thought, oh, Andrew Nemhard will be starting games um, for the Indiana Pacers this year. I mean, this is in part due to injuries. We know that Chris and Aaron Neesmith both had injuries, but he's remained the starter even with Aaron Neesmith back. And beyond that, that he would be the person being assigned to the other team's top options, that we've seen him assigned for an entire game, 40 possessions against C.J. McCollum in a game where C.J. McCollum went 3 of 11 from the field. Um, That wasn't all because of Andrew Nemhard, but we're seeing him guard Jamal Murray for almost an entire game. We saw him guard Tyler Hero and get a game-winning stop against Tyler Hero in crunch time. Uh, He had very nice, couple nice possessions against James Harden. Those still ended in scores, but forced him into some tough step back twos. He had a really nice possession against Bradley Beal. And then on Saturday, we're watching Andrew Nemhard guard Scotty Barnes. Um, that This is not stuff that never, I would not have like headed into the season. They're like, you would have been like, hey, the Pacers are playing the Toronto Raptors. Who do you think will get the Scotty Barnes assignment? Andrew Nemhard would have been pretty far down my list. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. It's funny because I feel like, uh, not that I've taken him for, for, for granted, but I feel like just by virtue of us watching all the games, um, you don't really think about it sometimes. Um, at least that's how my brain tends to work, I feel like. Uh, but I feel like I've had so many people, anytime I post a clip of Andrew Nemhard, they're always like, oh, he's been a really pleasant surprise this year. And it's from people you know who haven't watched the team or they've, they've only seen one or two games in passing because they're watching their favorite team. Um and I, I just couldn't agree more. The way that – because it's funny, like, how, how much we talked about in the offseason, like, well, okay, 
he's probably just gonna be like a relegated third guard or you know they're gonna try and find ways to for him to not play with tj um or or tyrese because i mean he's pretty clearly a point guard and lo and behold granted not like incredible volume but he's shooting 40 percent from three and it's it's looking good like it's still the same kind of funky low release um so it's not like super replicable with everything but he's just been good like he's been a very solid player and like you mentioned with the defense i think uh yeah it's it's been interesting to watch especially too in that toronto game like i i'm not trying to like give excuses but i do think scotty barnes is dealing with an ankle injury still if i remember correctly um but still like Scotty Barnes is 6'9, 6'10, like twice Andrew Nemhard's size. Um, and just what he does, like flowing off second side and and especially sparking some stuff. Not that he's done a ton in transition, but like he just does make makes really good kick ahead passes, even if it's not going in transition. Like um, I have really enjoyed the Andrew Nemhard experience. Yeah, I mean he got into foul trouble. He had two early fouls, the one in transition against Gary Trent, and then the other one where he was digging down on the OG on an OB post up. And I mean, those weren't against Scotty. And I agree with you. Like obviously Toronto's playing on the second night of a back-to-back Scotty's having to shoulder a lot of burden without Pascal Siakam, probably doing more in a creation role than he would be doing. Obviously if Pascal was available, let alone Fred Van Fleet wasn't available either. So there's that he played 39 minutes in the game, but I do think that we've seen across several games now that like, I don't love Andrew Nemhard's screen ne- navigation all the time, mm-hmm. but yeah, he agree. is headier than most of the players on the team. And that, like, I don't think that they're intending to peel switch or next in certain situations, but he does it. So, like, if I get, if he gets beat on a drive, there was one possession like this against Toronto. He gets beat on a drive. He lets Buddy Heald step up and then he peels back or finds the guy on the perimeter. He doesn't just stand there and be like, okay, I've been beat. He goes and finds where, you know, the open, the other person's going to be when the help comes. Um, he's pretty heady with that. And then also, like, Scotty hammers guys under the rim. Like, that is a strong dude. Like, you could see it against Buddy Heald. You could see it against Matherin. Like, he's going to make contact and, and, you know, always square his shoulders to the front of the basket. And there was two or three possessions where Andrew Nemhard took that bump and did not give up ground, which is saying a lot, not only because of his size, but just because, like, Scotty does this against centers. And just squaring his chest to contact, um, he forces guys to play into contact and then go into step back twos. Like he did that against James Harden. He did against Bradley Beal. Um, just cutting off drives. Like I think as an isolation defender, he's he's been fairly impressive as a rookie. Yeah. And like the Tyler Hero stop, like I I don't really understand what the Miami Heat were doing at that end of that game. Like why over the last like the Pacers in the fourth quarter where 11 scored points against zone on only four of the 17 possessions that the heat ran. So no points on 11 of 17 possessions against two, three in that quarter. And then with like three minutes and 50 seconds to go, they come out of a timeout. And I don't know if Eric Spolster was just trying to keep the Pacers off balance, like anticipating that maybe Rick Carlisle would call a zone buster or what, but he goes back man to man for the rest of that game, which I didn't really get. And then on that last possession, I, I also don't understand why, like, they had Gabe Vincent in the corner and they didn't have somebody go give Tyler Hero screen help. Like, why they were just like, oh, let's just give it to Tyler Hero to create. But, like, again, that was a big stop. And and they closed that game with two rookies on the court. Like, the Pacers have now done this a couple times where Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard have both been in the closing lineup. And that, in and of itself, like, that's just another thing about Andrew Nemhard. And, again, I know some of this is injuries, but, like, I wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, 
he'll close out a gritty win over the Miami Heat. Hmm. Yeah, that was unexpected as hell. Also, as a side note, Miami's offense has been such a mess this year. Um, Miami's a whole been a mess this year. But yeah, I agree, especially I really like what you mentioned with how he uses his chest. He's really good at being physical with his chest and kind of warding off drives, especially on in isolation without even necessarily being like a massive length guy. Um, so I really like that point. Yeah, I mean, there's still times where he gets beat and he wants to use tab backs and kind of gamble for steals that I could I could do without. But um, yeah, compared I, to what I, other I, options are, I will take yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, I think that the one thing like I still like Aaron Neesmith when he is picking up guys full court, but I actually think that Andrew's been a little bit better in some of these situations than than Aaron has even been, which is just saying a whole nother thing. But um, so what's your third thing? Uh, that is a good question. Well, I I mean, we've hit on we've hit on everything with Terry and O'Shea a bunch. Um, there was a there, I don't know. Toronto gives me a brief glimmer of hope that maybe just maybe O'Shea Brissett breaks back into the rotation at some point. But um, damn. I mean, but, O'Shea did have energized minutes there down the stretch. I mean, yeah. That was an awful breakdown by the Toronto Raptors. I don't know what they were doing when the entire defense was pressed up on like Tyrese and O'Shea was wide open under the basket. I'm not exactly sure what was going on there. Then he had the nice, you know, kind of face cut with TJ McConnell's penetration and then made another shot shortly thereafter. So it was a nice spirited burst from O'Shea that we really haven't seen. Um, The shot hasn't necessarily been there. And I feel like at times he's been pressing, but yeah, I mean, he's, obviously kept himself ready for that particular game. He's played well against the Raptors in the past. So that was a nice thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I have like multiple things listed that I could bring up, but I, hmm. well, we got time. We haven't had a, a two hour long podcast here. So whatever you have, I'm willing to. That is a fair point. Um, well, I do. I, I kind of just want to give some credit to Rick in all honesty. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I think you're surprised that, by this. <laughs> yeah, Your most surprising bit. thing is Rick Carlisle. Not so. Well, I mean, Rick is obviously a great coach with a long track record, but more just the level of competitiveness is not something I expected coming to this year. Like I thought that they would be like, the hope was that they would be a feisty team in time. But um, I do think he does deserve a little bit of credit for how they have looked to start the year. Um, like the offense really has been kind of awesome to watch. And granted, that's not all him. A lot of that's personnel. Like Tyrese has been fantastic, um, which we we like, we haven't even talked about Tyrese yet. And Tyrese has been incredible this year. But like, well, I was trying to pick things like just to point out, like, yeah, I don't want to undersell what Tyrese Halliburton yeah. has been. But like, oh, I was yeah. attempting to pick things that I just absolutely did not see coming. People asked well, me over the summer, and I wasn't sure. Like, I didn't know what the Pacers' record would be, but I I told multiple people I think that Tyrese Halliburton will be in the all-star conversation so I'm yeah. not like blown away like he's playing at a really oh, high yeah. level but like I'm not shocked by this development no yeah yeah no I was just saying I mean you're getting shouted out by him on pods before you can even shout him out on pods so that's uh you know funny how that works out <laughs> oh, but, <dear. laughs> um, but no yeah I just I if you told me before the season started that they would be 500 like halfway through November, I would have like definitely questioned that. So I do think it's just been, uh, it has been kind of nice to see. Um, and again, important to note, because this is a question I want to ask you after, because I know we're almost done with, with just talking about our surprises, but in terms of talking about like 
what the realistic mold is for this team. But yeah, it it just it's been it's been fun basketball, and you can tell the guys are playing hard for the most part. Other than like the first, there were some moments in the first couple games, but this has been this has been good. No, there was like there. I think that there was some effort issues. Like I mean, there definitely was in San Antonio. That's why the whole lineup yeah. got hockey subbed. I mean, I will say for Rick Carlisle that like you know they are playing guys. I don't think that you can like quibble with you know oh why isn't this young guy getting minutes during a rebuild. Um, like I just said, Andrew Nemhard and Benedict Mathern have been in closing lineups. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree. I've said many times that like their offense, I think the best way that I can describe it, and this is going to be a, a weird way to describe it because Aaron Neesmith's only been available in a two couple plays, but like their opening play against the Philadelphia 76ers was a pretty creative lob set for Aaron Neesmith. Um, I won't go into great detail because people are probably going to get confused if I do just know that he got a lob and, and it wasn't. It was atypical. They play the Wizards the next game, and they try to run that exact same set, and the Wizards covered it up. Um, it was the first set of the game after halftime. They cover it up, and they already know, like, okay, well, if Aaron Neesmith doesn't get that lob, then we're going to connect that and have him come off an exit screen. They look for that as the next option. That isn't there, so Miles Turner has it at the top of the key, and, and Jalen Smith knows, okay, we've run our play. We didn't get anything. I'm clearing out to the opposite corner. We're now in spread pick and roll, and then you just rely on Tyrese Halliburton to be like, a warm cozy blanket and make something happen so i mean i think it's equal parts like a lot of times they are running you know sets and actions that connect to other things and then they already have built encounters and then out of it it's like okay if we don't get anything out of that stuff we know that we can just rely on playing pick and roll and that tyrese is probably going to make something good happen out of nothing um i think that's probably the best way i would describe what they're doing and they're having quite a bit of flow i mean that wasn't necessarily the case in the first half against toronto um with Toronto switching out, I felt like they got, I wouldn't call it selfishness. I don't think anybody on this team is playing selfish, but like the ball was sticking a little bit. And that entire first half, like that, that is a credit to the coaching staff, I think, because the entire first half of that game was played to Toronto's style. And you could kind of predict that to a sense because there was going to be mismatches all over the floor. So Toronto is basically just hammering home bully drive after bully drive after bully drive. That's why the Pacers were racking up as many fouls as they were because it was basically just guys clawing from behind against those drives. And at the other end, the Pacers weren't necessarily handling the switches well, although the Toronto also mixed in some one, three, one zone. Then they come out of halftime and the coaching staff's like, okay, you know, we played that by ear. We can't continue to let them, you know, have their way around two and be us, you know, racking up fouls left and right. So we're going to start pinching in on OG on Anobi. We're going to start doubling down on a lot of those drives and force the Toronto Raptors to beat us in a shootout, which they're not going to do. Like the Raptors attempted twice as many threes in the second half as they did in the first half. And that was by design because the Pacers knew like, you're going to have a math problem because we're going to outshoot you. Now, why they didn't do that from the tip. I don't entirely know. It's possible that maybe they thought, Hey, if we let them do their bully drives for half a game, they're on the second night of a back-to-back, that'll be somewhat of a war of attrition. Maybe they'll get tired. It's also kind of hard, like, again, not to get too detailed here, but like when a player goes from a perimeter drive, which is a lot of times what the Raptors do, they don't use a lot of post-entry passes. Like if it's just Scotty Barnes going from a perimeter drive and now this has become like a post-up, like, you know, a Barkley thing. And you as a help side defender have to go from being help side on a perimeter drive to going into post-automatics. And like for a young team to be able to do that and to go double, maybe they weren't really confident in that. But, you know, they did it after halftime. The coaching staff made the adjustments to put them in the position to win that game. Um, And it was played completely to the Pacers style after that. So um, I think in general, I would like this team to stop fouling nonstop. I think they have like the highest, they're either yeah, 29th they're, or they're 30th in terms right of yeah opponent free throw attempt rate. So 
Um, that's kind of problematic, but yeah, I mean, I think too with Rick is that he's held people accountable and that goes all the way up to Tyrese Halliburton. Mm -hmm. Like there's been three times now where Tyrese has been benched for defensive reasons where like, you know, they're in San Antonio, they hockey sub all of the starters out against the Miami heat. He got burned on that same split cut play with bam operating as the post hub twice where he didn't bump the cutter and Rick took him out. And then in that game late, they were doing the offense defense, you know, sub on sub off. So like, you know, if, if people aren't doing what they're going to do, that shows like if we're even willing to do this with our best player, you know, guys have to work harder in those types of situations and know what's going to happen. And I've also just really enjoyed the relationship between he and Benedict Matherin. Like I don't have personal knowledge of that. I'm not in there on their conversations, but like, that's why I wanted to write that article after the bulls game. The fact that like, Benedict's coming to him for additional insight and then Rick's putting him in the position to learn how to make reads out of their plays. Um, I think says a lot too. Like we didn't know. Um, it was said retroactively, but I mean, last year in that one heat game when they got blown out on national TV, like Jared Greenberg reported that he had asked Rick Carlisle, like if you knew that the team you're going to is going to go through a rebuild, would you have wanted that job? And Rick was like, no, but you know, now that he's in it, like, I think that he's doing a really good job with playing the rookies, putting them in positions to be successful, um, bringing young guys along. I don't think you can have too many complaints about the start of this season. Yeah, I agree. I love what you said about the accountability factor because that has actually been an issue for a couple NBA teams this year. So, like, even with um, – I was listening to – I don't know if you ever listened to Dane Moore's pod, but he's, in my opinion, like the best Minnesota beat writer. He's really good at what he does um, – keeping up with everything but like just listening to and obviously following along and watching the games of what's going on in Minnesota with guys who I mean they very clearly have had massive effort issues and they've had problems of not really being able to uh, necessarily hold anybody accountable and, and change up what's going on there and maybe they'll change it as the year goes on but I think those are the kind of things I feel like I've said take it for granted a million times on this pod but like a coach like kind of just doing that off rip without having any kind of ramifications. Like I think that that speaks a lot to Rick in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. This season has just been after what the last two years were, this has been uh this has been a really nice, really nice year. Very refreshing. Yes. I mean, I will ask, I mean, this isn't our biggest surprises, but I mean, it kind of parlays into being surprised by what they're doing right now. How should this alter or should it alter what, you know, even they themselves headed into this season were very much setting us all up for this is not going to be about wins and losses. Like not so much about optimizing winning in the playoffs. It's about, you know, judging progress month over month. You know, those aren't their exact words, but that was the message that was put out there. Like, are you seeing stuff through these first 12 games? Like that you think that they should be altering, you know, I guess I would just put it this way. Like what should the season be about at this point? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I, I mean, at least for me, I haven't changed my mind with what I think they should be doing. Like with how good this draft class is and the fact that like, yes, you can look at where this team is at right now and be like, oh, well, they're seventh place in the East. Like if they just, you know, keep strong and, and keep doing what they're doing, then maybe they have a shot. I don't think that that's going to happen. Like Toronto has been dealing with a ton of injuries. And I think Toronto is very clearly a better team than this team. Uh, Miami is going to figure their stuff out because Eric Spolster is like just about the best coach in the NBA. I think like looking up and down this, the Eastern conference, I just would be shocked if this holds up for, even if they don't make any roster moves, I don't think that this can hold up for the entire year. Um, and maybe I'm wrong in that. That's just kind of where I would probably go in looking at this. Um, I think that 
just especially like I don't love talking about injuries, but this team hasn't been like crazy banged up. Like obviously missing Chris is hurt, but it's not the same as missing Pascal Siakam. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I think to me, like, I, I, again, like just I saw like a thread of people like shitting on Utah the other day for being 10 and three and at the top of the West. And I was like, dude, they're probably going to be outside the plane by January. Like it, this, it, I mean, it, the the losses stack up really quickly when a team starts like fully selling out to the tank. And obviously not that I think the team's going to do that, but more just, sorry, I know this is a really long ramble, but point being like, I think that they're still on quote unquote track to do what they want to do. Like I, I still am of the mindset that they should trade Miles. I don't think that Miles is like just magically happy to be here. Um, like, yes, he's playing well, but I don't know. It just with how all that went, that that was still only what, like two weeks ago? I, yeah. I think. Yeah. So it's just, I don't I kind of can we pause there because we didn't record a podcast. <laughs> we did not. So That's right. I, I, I just kind of want to get your opinion on that. Before I launch into my opinion about, you know, what what the team, where the team's at, and if I would alter my approach. Like, what were your thoughts when that interview came out? And and for listeners, we're talking about the Woj podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. Like, I think, you know, more power to you for speaking your mind on what you want to do. Yeah. That was very clearly, like, an agency setup. Like, oh, let's have this talk and see if this can, you know, generate any trade interest or put any force, any kind of leverage. Like maybe this, there's enough like outcry for, um, you know, for fans to, um, to like get Rob Polinka to pull the, pull the trigger on the trade. Um, a, I'm trying to think how to word this. I, it was just kind of a corny interview for being honest. Like, I don't know. Like, I think it's one of those things where it can go one of two ways. And with the game he had in Brooklyn, the the day after this came out, woof, that did not go well. Um, yeah, I mean, it was yeah. just, it was weird. It was very weird. I, I think I agree with you in that I think some of the takes were probably a little naive of how the sausage gets made. I mean, yeah. the fact that that question was asked and answered, oh, I think, kind of tells question. you. It was like tells you. Well, I mean, opening a podcast with should a team give up two first round picks for you? I think the fact that it was asked and answered and and willingly answered, I think, tells what you need to know. And I know that the general take was, "What else is he going to say?" And I don't really care what he says. Like he can go on a podcast and say whatever he wants. Like he's his own person. I'm not going to criticize him for what he said. Um, and having yeah. his own opinion about his own career. Like, I certainly want him to have whatever agency he wants in that regard. But, like, to say what else could he have said, just if 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 you didn't want to open the door and have stuff about the Lakers and have this be quote-unquote misconstrued, like, just start your answer the way you ended it. I believe he ended it saying something along the lines of, like, I get paid to shoot, not pull the trigger on deals. Like, he could have just laughed and been like, huh, when Woj asked, he'd just be like, ha-ha, well, you know, I get I get paid to play, not to be a general manager. But like he he clearly provided an answer there. Yeah. Like and again, it's his right to provide the answer. I don't care that he did, but like to pretend like that wasn't like wild stuff and then later on for it to be like, well, the media ran away with one <laughs> clip from the interview. I'm like, because I've literally never heard a player do something like that before. I I I literally cannot remember a situation quite like that. Like at part when I was listening to it, which I listened to the full podcast, like I Same. was like imagining 
I was imagining like them doing this on a second screen and calling Bobby Marks in to see if the deal would work. <laughs> like, like I mean, that's basically what that sounded like. And the funny thing is, is like, and I'm I'm not gonna say how Miles feels about Indiana or the Pacers. I don't know what he's thinking Same. about what, but like, it almost felt afterwards. People are like, well. This just has to get done. And people are saying this about the Lakers all the time. I'm like, I think that that interview happening makes it less likely to get done. Like the more and more public that that whole thing became either front office is going to be whichever front office blinks, whether it would be the Pacers being like, well, we're not, we'll, we'll only take one pick or if the Lakers fold and are like, okay, you know, our season is basically a train wreck and we'll give the two picks like, they're going to get blamed and pointed pointed out that whichever team, you know, lost leverage there. Like it's, it's, it almost feels too public now to me, but you know, maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe the Lakers will get desperate enough. I mean, it is kind of funny that we're in a situation where like the Pacers almost have to make the deal or else they won't be able to out tank the Lakers. And I'm not saying that the Pacers should tank, but you know, that situation, I, I still think that at the bottom line, regardless of what was said on that interview, like, it all circles back to an extension. If you're not going to sign an extension, then you still have to make a deal. The Pacers can't like push for, you know, a play in bid this year and keep miles and buddy on the roster the whole year. And then miles listens to free agency, like goes around and listens to other teams, which again is his right to do. And then walks. I mean, miles himself pointed that out that, you know, the Pacers would be in a position of not saying that he was going to do this, but pointed out like, you know, I am in the final year of my contract and I could leave. Like, I just don't think the Pacers can do that. So then it becomes like, how long are you going to sit and let this go? Like, cause right now, like we both said, miles is probably in the middle of the best stretch of, of his career. So I would think that, you know, that's probably the highest his value has been. He's healthy. Um, I don't know. I, I guess my point being back to my original question about whether it would alter my plans. I don't think that it would. I don't think this year should be about this year. Like yes. it has been fun basketball, but like it almost me watching and believing to the degree that I do and what Tyrese and Benedict are doing almost makes me feel even more strongly in what the approach should be that you don't want to shortchange what they could be. Um, and I think that you would in part be doing that if it's like, Oh, we could be the ninth seed and, and potentially lose in a play-in game. Yeah. No, I agree. I think I'm I'm very much in the same mold of, like, especially with what Miles said about, like, I, I mean, I felt that was, like, not a bad thing to say. I mean, it was very honest in what he said at yeah. the end. He's like, you know, you don't want to just lose out on getting any kind of value back from me. And he's right. Like, and it's not even just about that. Like you mentioned, I think it's more just why are you – when you sell off so much of what the team was doing – to try and become a team that is going to set up for the future. If it would just, like you mentioned, it'd be a half measure if they decided to focus in on this year and be like, let's make the eighth seed or the ninth seed. Like that, that does nothing for me. That does nothing for the team. If I'm being, and, and that's, that's my opinion. I'm, I know one listener who is going to disagree with that and probably be in our mentions about it, but um, yeah, it's just it's, like you mentioned, especially with like Benedict and Tyrese look like a future all-star backcourt duo. Like, I think Tyrese makes yeah. the All-Star game this year. That makes me, like, especially with how good Tyrese has looked, starting to become that, quote-unquote, like, true primary ball handler. Like, yeah, I I want this team to keep building around him, and that requires making sure that there is higher-level talent around him. And I think, I mean, that very clearly has to come through this draft. Um, so, yeah. 
yeah, I, I just I wouldn't shortchange it and suddenly alter like the length of of where I'm thinking based off these games because like I don't want to diminish what they do. Like I said on Toronto, that game they made good adjustments. The guys executed what they wanted to do coming out of halftime. They earned that win. But at the same time, I can imagine Pascal Siakam being out there when they were doubling some of those actions and just knowing that he was going to make the right reads out of it based on what he's been doing to start the season at practically an MVP level. They yeah. didn't have two of their all-stars playing in that game. It was the second night of a back-to-back for them. Um, when Miami came to town, it was the second night of a back-to-back for the Heat and Jimmy Butler was not playing. Like, So I'm not going to like think because they're 6-6 six and six right now. I mean, somewhat similar to like, – Yes, the the Pacers kind of broke the Brooklyn Nets, but the Brooklyn Nets were also kind of already broken and borderline yeah, looking like they were playing to get their coach fired. So um, that's another element of it as well. Like, yes, the Pacers had to make the 23 threes in that game, but the defense was abominable, um, yeah. just to be honest, from the Brooklyn oh, Nets in that particular yeah. contest. So, um yeah, I mean, I give them credit. I give them credit again for what they did against the Denver Nuggets and what you said. Very, very weird game. But, like, the second quarter of that against Denver's bench was, like, practically a watching a tidal wave um, with what Benedict Matherin was doing. And then, you know, obviously they ended up squandering that over the back end of the game. And that's, well, that's what makes it so hard to assess. Like, am I supposed to have expectations for this team? Or am I not? <laughs> Like that by the time that game was over, I'm like, am I supposed to be expecting that they should win a game like this and be critical of what their performance was over the fourth quarter? Or, you know, or just be like, you know, that was a plucky effort, which it was. Like they deserve credit for the fact that they had put Denver in that position in the first place. But um it does make it kind of hard to assess what we're watching. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It is just it's it it is kind of weird when you think about it. So I'm very interested to see where it starts to trend in the next couple of weeks. Because this, I mean, hey, they they play Charlotte in uh, next game on yeah. Wednesday, and nothing good has happened for this team the last few years since they played Charlotte. Um, so <laughs> that could be exciting. Uh, Lamelo Ball is back, so I I mean I don't I don't know. Not that I'm advocating for the team to lose, but you get what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, they are playing a softer little portion of their schedule here. So it's possible that they could be piling up even more wins. And it's it's not that. It's not – I don't want people to get the wrong impression and think that I, I don't like watching. Obviously, it's more fun to watch a team win and be playing good basketball. Um, it's just me trying to assess where they're at and what the expectation should actually be and, and what um, – your plan for the rest of the season should be but we get a lot more games to watch and there has been as we recapped here a lot of good surprises that have happened so far through the first 12 games that have made them a very fun team to be covering and interacting and talking about and i didn't know that this was our 300th episode so if anybody's listened to all 300 of those or if you're just tapping in now thank you for listening to us Um, we like talking to you guys we like being able to talk about the indiana pacers hopefully we can start doing it a little bit more regularly but both of us have had you know pretty busy schedules so yes i second that one um and also there's one last thing we get to really find out if this team is good at rebounding on november 19th and november 21st when they play the orlando magic in two games um that yes. would be exciting yes. uh the it's the average height is going to be like inverse for both teams that'll be incredible um well caitlin do you have anything else you want to get off your chest before we get out of here no no parting shots from me 
Well, that makes two of us. I will say I do have my first words on the NBA draft coming out tomorrow. It won't be at New Corners. I'll have some stuff coming up, hopefully, at, like draft notebook stuff at any Corners soon. Because uh, the shame on college coaches, man. We got some terrible matchups the first week and a half of basketball uh, in the college season. But we're starting to get some good matchups uh, as this week goes on. So expect some written stuff from me. But, um, yeah. Well, Caitlin, this was a blast, as always. Thank you for doing this. Um, when I saw this was the 300th episode, I debated like if we should do something special for it, but I was like, no, nah, let's just talk about the Pacers. So um, here we are. Thanks. Thanks as always for being awesome, Caitlin. Um, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. Most importantly, have a good rest of your day.